righty. I have Michaela Riley with me today, who is a functional nutritionist, and we're going to pick her brain. Michaela, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. I'm so good. I'm really, really excited to talk to you. I reached out to Michaela last week, actually, and I think this was like the quickest scheduling I've ever done. It was like, are you free Monday? She's like, like, wait, let's do it. (laughs) I'm like, who am I kidding? But it all happened. So it was divine timing. So I'm just really glad we made it work. But I was looking at your Instagram before I jumped on the call and there was just like so much interesting information on there. And I was just kind of curious, how did you get into this line of work? Yeah, for sure. It's probably a story that could take the full hour, but I'll Love give it. you the clue. <laughs> but definitely it kind of all started at a younger age. I was always super active, played multiple sports. I played soccer, ran track, really got myself involved in as much as I could. And I found myself having some hormonal issues at a younger age, specifically in high school. And a little bit into middle school, I was getting some cystic acne, not really sure what was going on there. I saw a dermatologist. They put me on antibiotics for like two to three years, which now everything that I know now, that is like a major red flag. So I was put on antibiotics at a really young age. And then also I was put on birth control, which as soon as that entered the equation, my life kind of changed forever. After that, I started gaining weight really rapidly. My body just totally changed like within a few months. I almost didn't recognize myself in the mirror. So I became super body conscious after that and started doing all the things that I had always known would work as weight loss strategies. So working out a lot, eating a really strict diet. All of these things at a very young age, probably developed an eating disorder undiagnosed and got into massive over-exercising. So a lot had changed in my life and I kept going to all of these specialists. I even went to the Mayo Clinic, like some of the top specialists in the world to really help me figure out like what was going on. I was having so much weight gain. My cycle was all over the place because I had stopped the birth control at that point and still couldn't get my cycle. I was having cystic acne, just a lot of water retention and inflammation in my body. And I just knew the person that I was looking at in the mirror was not who I actually was. I was dealing Mm -hmm. with chronic bloating. Like I would wake up looking six months pregnant and I definitely was not. It was like, I I know that feeling (sighs) so well. (laughs) It, it it was like deb- debilitating. Like I couldn't wear anything that I wanted to wear because I just felt like massive and then going out and doing social events. I mean, there were some nights that I like didn't want to do anything because of the way my stomach looked and felt. So I was really going through a lot at such a young age, seeing all the specialists that I could and they all basically told me the same thing of you just need to go on birth control. This will help regulate your cycle this is part of womanhood. This is just like the natural way that a woman's body grows. It's all fine and normal. A gastroenterologist told me that I didn't look that bloated. So there was nothing really to worry about. I was like, (laughs) okay, but it is a problem. So yeah, after following that, I found functional medicine and this was a many years ago. So it was kind of when 
everything functional was like really coming to the scene. So there wasn't even half as many practitioners and practices as there is now. So I saw a few naturopathic doctors and functional practitioners. Not all practitioners are created equal. I will say that in my own experience working with naturopaths and functional practices of Mm -hmm. all sorts. So it really took me a long time to find like a really good person and group that I trusted a lot, but I found someone that like really helped me turn my entire life around. And then I also started doing my own research. So I worked with someone for a little while, and then I also took my health into my own hands and really started accelerating the healing process through my knowledge and just all the research that I had done. I was able to overcome bloating. I got my cycle back. I was able to lose and maintain weight in a healthy way. I was no longer working out like seven days a week at the you know most highest intensity level. I looked the best that I had ever looked in like a long time. And I was doing everything almost opposite that people had told me for so many years. And it was all done medication-free, which is really incredible. So after that experience in my life, I just knew that my story and my experience would resonate with so many people and so many women women that were not being listened to or heard in the Western medicine world. So I decided to get certified in functional nutrition and functional labs and then open up my own business a couple of years ago and start working with clients. And over the past year, it definitely has accelerated a lot. And I've helped hundreds of women with PCOS, hypothyroidism, Hashimoto's, gut issues, you name it. I've probably seen it. So it's been really incredible. And that's kind of how I got into everything. Oh, my heart goes out to you because I feel like that that is unfortunately a really common story of like going on birth control and antibiotics on a really early age and then having to fix that the rest of your life. I know I'm definitely in that category for sure. How long were you on birth control and then how long did it take you to like reverse all of those issues? So I was on and off birth control for probably about three years because I first got prescribed it. And then I realized that that was the catalyst that was really driving all of my symptoms. For the most part, I was doing, you know, massive over exercising and a few things Mm -hmm. nutritionally that weren't conducive to reducing those symptoms. But for the most part, the birth control really exacerbated those symptoms. I went on and off of it for three and a half years. And then it took me about four to five years to finally like lose all the inflammation, really heal my gut and be able to, you know, balance my hormones and all the things I will say being so deep into the over exercise and diet Mm -hmm. lifestyle, I had to really like retrain my brain to not be in that mindset of that this is what's going to help me get where I want to be. Like, you know, we Mm -hmm. see all the ads, all the things that even doctors will tell you, like, you just need to work out more and eat less. Like, that's really where your problem lies. I had to really unwind my brain and thought process all around exercise and nutrition because I was so body conscious at that point. So I was almost my own worst enemy in effect too, but also going on and off the birth control wasn't helping anything either. So 
Yeah, it's definitely a process and a journey when you're addressing functional issues, just using, you know, supplementation, lifestyle changes and all the things. But really reeling in all the lifestyle factors was like kind of the key part to obviously overcoming a lot of my symptoms. So yeah, yeah, but it was it was definitely a journey. I can imagine five, four or five years. That's a long time. I'm upping my self-care game in 2023, you guys. And how am I doing that? Well, I'm using higher dose products. If you haven't heard of higher dose, higher dose is the number one holistic recovery brand offering wellness technology, supplements, and rituals that support your well-being from the inside out. And their products are all grounded in science, which is what I love about them. And it's the science of healing with infrared light, PEMF therapy, and red light therapy. My favorite all-time product of theirs is the PEMF mat. Now, that stands for Pulsed Electromagnetic Field Technology, and it sends electromagnetic waves through your body at different healing frequencies to promote your body's natural recovery process. I use my mat every single day when I'm answering emails, scrolling TikTok, or doing my daily meditation. And I combine it often times with my red light face mask. And my red light face mask helps me fade my acne scars and rejuvenates my skin. I am such an advocate for this brand, you guys. It's unreal that I get to partner with them because truly I love all the products on their website. And I seriously encourage you guys to give them a try. And of course, I have a little discount for you guys, 15% off. So all you have to do is go to the show notes, click the link in the show notes or the link in my bio on Instagram or TikTok. And when you go to check out, don't forget to put in the code ALCHEMY. That's A-L-C-H-E-M-Y, ALCHEMY for 15% off. You guys, when I think about the fact that I used to get in my car and drive to therapy as a depressed and anxious girl, I honestly cannot believe it. Like the irony that people who suffer from depression have to will themselves to get out of bed and then battle with parking and traffic and waiting rooms only to talk to their therapist for an hour, not to mention the emotional roller coaster of health insurance. I'm over it. Why don't we make mental health easier and more accessible? Well, there is someone who does that, and that's BetterHelp. Thank you, BetterHelp, for sponsoring this episode. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 25,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. So to get started, just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. And you can always switch therapists. If you don't feel like your therapist is a match, that's okay. You can also message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. I can't tell you how easy this is. To get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp, go to betterhelp.com forward slash only alchemy. That's better h-e-l-p dot com slash only alchemy. For people who aren't familiar, why was over-exercising 
causing more issues for you? Yeah. So I actually used to teach group fitness classes. And so part of it was like, that was my job to be in that high intensity, you know, exercise Mm -hmm. space. But what can happen is obviously when we exercise, it's a healthy stressor. But when you have chronically high levels of stress, cortisol for too long of a period, what can happen is your body can start eating its own muscle and then your metabolic rate will decline so that you kind of look like skinny fat, like puffy, inflamed. You retain a lot of water. That's all signs of high cortisol and also your body eating muscle as energy, which is really common for women that work out five, six, seven days a week without any sort of rest. And that was definitely the case for me. So really being able to manage your cortisol levels and not over-exercise I can almost guarantee anyone that's doing that, if you take just that piece of advice, you'll probably overcome a lot of the symptoms that you are struggling with because I see women frequently that are doing that. And that's the first thing that we correct. And almost immediately they're like, wow, my digestion is like so much better. I have actual energy after I work out because I'm not like killing myself in the gym. So yeah, it's something that isn't talked about enough, but is super crucial to the healing process and just supporting your body for balanced hormones, optimal digestion and all of that. I could not agree more. Like it's so counterintuitive. I feel like we've been taught from such a young age to like just kill ourselves at the gym and also to keep up with men's workouts. Like I feel like a lot of workout routines and things are kind of centered around that. And I'm a big fan of Pilates. And when I found Pilates, I like feel like everything changed for me. But in high school, I did such intense sports that were just like so aggressive on the body. Like I did competitive rowing and athletics and it was just like such intense exertion. And now I'm like, I don't even know how I was able to function doing that and like going to school at the same time. Whereas now I'm like very slow. Pilates is like the only thing that I can handle. Yes, I am a Pilates girl. When I was like going through this whole transformation, that was the one thing that I swapped my workouts for was a lot of heavy weight training that a lot of girls are told by male trainers typically that this is how you're Mm going to get your dream body. Like you need to lift as heavy as possible. And the reality is that a lot of women just will not respond the way that a man will, or even some women genetically and hormonally are built to be able to sustain that amount of, you know, training or resistance. And they will, you know, look really toned and fit and all the things. But the reality is we're also bio genetically individual. So not everyone's going to respond to training stimulus the same. When I swapped Pilates for a lot of the heavy strength training that I was doing, my body like inflammation was totally gone. And I just looked so much better. I've been really consistent for about six months with Pilates and my abs and core I've never looked better. And just from like a functional perspective too, I feel like I can do different moves so much better just having like a strong core. So I I love Pilates. I know. I'm like, anyone who hasn't done it, 
it's like crazy to think to me that people haven't tried it before because I've been doing it for like I would say like 10 years now like that's how long I've been on the Pilates train you were on it before it was cool (laughs) before it was cool but I was also doing like are you familiar with Legree Pilates yes before that was cool But even that was at times too intense for me. Like I needed classical Pilates. So when I made even just that small shift from Legree to classical, I was like, oh, I'm actually seeing a huge difference in like how my body reacts. And I don't know if you found this too, but feeling absolutely exhausted after any kind of workout or exercise, like I know that's not normal. Obviously making sure you're hydrated and you have enough protein, but even after both those boxes are checked, still feeling like it takes 24 hours to recover from a workout. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. When I was going through my massive over-exercise thing and just running my body into the ground, teaching all the group fitness classes, I would literally do my workouts, teach a class or whatever, and I would come home and have to like sleep for like three hours because I was so tired. It is a sign from the body that like that is way too much like extreme exhaustion. The adrenal glands just can't keep up with that. So that's definitely like another red flag that maybe this is just too much on my body. If you're getting chronically exhausted, you should feel light and energized after you finish a workout. If you're feeling drained, fatigued or like insane amount of soreness, that's not really good. (laughs) That's a sign that it's probably just too much. Yeah. So I see adrenal fatigue a lot on social media and I feel like there's a lot of information that gets thrown around about it. And I think it's only just kind of starting to get acknowledged. There's so many questions I want to ask you about this, but let's just start with your thoughts on it. And how can you tell if maybe you have adrenal fatigue? Yeah, it's a tricky question because a lot of the hype on social media or a lot of the information surrounds high cortisol or chronically elevated stress levels. But adrenal fatigue is when the adrenals can no longer or they just can't keep up with demands essentially of stress. So the output of cortisol is really low. So super flatlined cortisol, which causes extreme fatigue. But the caveat is that a lot of high cortisol symptoms and low cortisol symptoms overlap each other. So it's really hard to for sure be able to determine which bucket you fall into without running something like the Dutch test to look at your actual cortisol pattern throughout the day. But in general, upon waking up, if you're like extremely drained and fatigued and like you don't get any energy, like no matter what throughout the day, that's probably a sign that you're in extreme adrenal fatigue. But again, the caveat is some people, their cortisol levels are just so elevated that they almost feel hungover and like tired from that much cortisol being produced from the body. So it's really hard to determine without, you know, for sure testing. But in general, if you're waking up extremely fatigued and throughout the day you just like are literally no energy at all whatsoever that's likely adrenal fatigue but um high cortisol on the other hand if you're having a hard time falling asleep staying asleep and then you have low energy throughout the day 
that's a sign that you are probably closer to the high cortisol spectrum. Adrenal fatigue, you can probably sleep for like eight to 12 hours a day and then still have like no energy throughout the day. So those are kind of the differentiators, but a Dutch test would be the best place to kind of know for sure what what's going on. For people who aren't familiar, Dutch testing is functional lab tests, correct? Yes. So the Dutch test is a dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. It is really, really awesome and great, obviously. But it tests <laughs> it tests your stress hormones and sex hormones through your urine, which tends to be a little bit more accurate when you're looking at detoxification pathways, methylation abilities. But yes, it's a functional lab and it tells you way more than a single blood testing in time when you're trying to determine why you have hormonal imbalances or extreme fatigue or weight gain of any sort. Mm-hmm. Okay, so going back to adrenal fatigue really quick, I know there's a lot of conversation around coffee in the morning and spiking your cortisol. What are your thoughts on that? Yes, for sure. Every t- It's funny. Every time you post a reel or something on social media about coffee, it gets incredible traction. So it's a really great topic to talk about because I feel like, I mean, who doesn't love coffee? But coffee, when you drink it on an empty stomach, can cause a cortisol spike, which obviously you want to avoid those massive spikes in your cortisol Mm because chronically high stress levels just lead to a cascade of issues. The other thing that can happen is if you drink coffee, depending on what you drink it with, it can cause your blood sugar to drop really low. So cortisol will spike high to try to counteract the low blood sugar that your body just experienced. So that that is why it's crucial to have a meal of some sort, even just like a protein bar is going to be way better than just waking up first thing in the morning and drinking whatever, like a latte. It's really important. It seems like so little and minuscule to the whole body and hormones, but it really does make a huge difference, especially if you're dealing with like a lot of chronic digestive issues. Even coffee is super acidic. This doesn't really go with cortisol, but coffee is just super acidic and it can cause a lot of bloating, gas, constipation, diarrhea, you name it. So making sure you have that like solid meal and then high quality coffee is also really recommended organic, you know, all the things. I quit coffee like a year ago, kind of unintentionally, but not super unintentionally. It just kind of happened. Like I didn't necessarily plan on it. I just was curious. And then I kind of a year went by without it. But the other day I had a coffee and I I felt like I was just on like 10 Adderall or something. I was just like so insanely energized and anxious all at the same time. And I was like, I was drinking the exact drink that I would drink every day. There was no difference. It was my Nespresso machine. Like I was the same pod, everything. And I was like, I cannot believe I used to drink this like every day. Like I, I love coffee. I love the taste of it. And I do love like some of the feelings of like, you know, being productive and feeling focused, but my body had such a visceral reaction to it. It was quite like surprising. Yeah. I, I haven't had 
coffee consistently in like so many years, but every once in a while I'll go on like a coffee date with like a friend. But I'll notice that if I drink like even half of the coffee that I have, it like wires me for the rest of the day because I'm I just don't have it like ever. Maybe like once or once every month or something, I'll have a coffee. But yeah, my body is super sensitive and that can definitely happen, especially if you drink it like multiple cups a day every day. You can become caffeine intolerant. And then when you go off of it, you can get a lot of detox symptoms too from it, like headaches. But then when you introduce it again, the body is just like extremely sensitive to caffeine. Do you drink matcha teas? I don't. I pretty much stick to just water with electrolytes, not to be like boring or anything. But honestly, that's just kind of like my go to. I'm I honestly just don't have the time to like make anything, which that's I need to like set my schedule up a little bit better so I can do that. But no, I really just kind of drink water. That sounds so boring, though. (laughs) No, it doesn't. It's honest. And like, I love that because I'm so. I would love to be that way, honestly, but I feel like I love, I'm like one of those people that has like three types of drinks at once, you know? (laughs) Yeah. The one, the one thing that I do love that's like not water is I love drinking Olipop or the poppy. Yes. Yes. (laughs) I'm totally a poppy or Olipop girl. I don't really discriminate between either of them. They are both really good. But that's that's like my little beverage if I'm going to have something. I completely agree. I drink both of them. I can't. Sometimes one just hits more than the other. And it's like it depends on like the mood and the vibe that you that you have that day. But yeah, that's definitely my go to. I want to let you guys in on a little secret. I've been including medicinal mushrooms and adaptogens into my morning breakfast lion's mane to support focus cordyceps to support my physical performance throughout the day and give me some energy chaga and reishi to support my immune system and then cinnamon cacao and chai for taste and also antioxidants mood and then that little hint of caffeine Now, that sounds like a lot of ingredients to include into your breakfast, but I've just been using one scoop of mud water in hot water every single morning, and that, with a little bit of honey and milk, is just chef's kiss. And I'm telling you guys, I've been doing this since 2019, way before the podcast has even started, and I'm lucky enough to be able to partner with them. So now... I can share some amazing discounts with you guys so that you can also improve your morning routine as well. So if you're looking for a coffee alternative that does not give you any kind of anxiety or jitters or even a crash later on in the day, I highly recommend trying some mud water. I have a little discount code for you guys. It's 15% off with the code ALCHEMY. And you can use that code site-wide. I also have a link in my show notes and in my bio for you to click on and enjoy mud water. I wanted to ask you also, when you were talking about cortisol, can your body misinterpret that stress just from anxiety? Like if, if a person is a naturally anxious person by 
just nature, like they're born that way or they've grown up that way, can your body interpret that stress negatively on your hormones? Yeah, for sure. I think that goes for anything even outside of anxiety. Anything that the body, that's a stressor, the body doesn't know if that's a good stressor or a bad stressor or if it's even something that it should be reacting to. It doesn't really know. So that's why it's so important to, I mean, sometimes anxiety, there's some other things that are going on internally from a hormone perspective, like not enough progesterone or um, methylation issues that might be triggering more anxiety. But even things outside of that, like a toxic friendship, a toxic relationship, those are all stressors on the body that people don't recognize can actually produce more cortisol within your body and lead to hormonal issues down the road or currently that you're experiencing. So I think that's also another topic that's really good to talk about is just when a lot of practitioners or influencers, whatever, post about stress management, managing your stress. It's not just the workouts that you're doing. It's also taking into account all of the things that are in your life, you know, the the friendships, the relationships, the people, or even traumatic events that have happened in your life, even if it was seven or 10 years ago, that can still be impacting your nervous system and keeping you from that healing state, which is so important to be able to unlock those traumas or recognize that that might be something that's not allowing you to fully heal and be able to address those. RTT therapy, rapid transformational therapy is one of my favorite things ever. I did it when I was going through my um, healing journey. It's a hypnotherapy where a practitioner puts you under hypnosis. It's pretty bizarre, but it's it's pretty crazy. You tap into your subconscious mind. So anything Mm -hmm. traumatic that the body is still holding on to, you'll walk through that in your mind with the practitioner and then start to learn how to unwind those traumas, recognize them and unwind them, which is really important. And a lot of people don't realize that that could be a contributing factor to their hormonal issues or just functional issues in general. Yeah, I've done some just recorded YouTube RTT and actually, no, that's not true. I did one. (laughs) You just reminded me. I was like, I have done a session of RTT. Um, I've done two. I'm pretty sure I did two sessions with somebody. I just don't think I put it together that it was RTT until later. I just thought it was hypnotherapy. But for going back to the nervous system, if somebody's nervous system isn't locked in like fight or flight, is there anything that they can do on their own to try and reverse that? Yeah, definitely. Looking at your lifestyle again is a really good place to kind of start because there's a lot of things that people just don't think about that would be a contributing stress factor that really needs to be addressed or you need to draw those boundaries with yourself and someone else to be able to kind of take a step back and allow yourself to have that time that you need. So really taking into account like your work-life balance, any friendships, relationships that you think might be contributing to more stress. Obviously, the physical exertion that you're putting on your body, are you exercising too much? That could be putting your body into that fight or flight mode. 
But that's kind of the first place to start. And then the second place is implementing some of those functional healing modalities. So cold plunges are really great for resetting the nervous system and stimulating the vagus nerve, which helps your body tap into that parasympathetic nervous system, rest and digest, which is really what we want. Cold plunges are really- stress your body? No, it actually calms the body down. It calms the immune system down. If you do it like- an absurd amount. So like every day for like 10 minutes, it might be a little much, but a few times a week is actually really good. If you have any autoimmunity going on, cold plunges are really great for that because it calms the immune system down. It also helps stimulate the gut microbiome. So if you're dealing with a lot of digestive issues, doing cold plunges can be really beneficial, but other functional healing modalities is breath work, meditation, journaling, Mm -hmm all those things Mm -hmm. that are really kind of tapping into your mind and your body and trying to release some of those traumas. And then again, just trying to draw those boundaries with yourself and somebody else or your work, you know, really trying to carve out time for yourself. I feel like a lot of people, especially in American society are so in that like, go, go, go. I have to be productive all the time. Resting yeah. is not good. Being lazy is not good. But in, in reality, we all need those seasons of life or, you know, we all need to do that every once in a while. Yeah, no, I totally agree. I haven't tried cold plunging before, but now that you've suggested it, I always thought it would be too intense, like, like stress wise. So the- like how often can you do it for like good results? Yeah. I think building up to some sort of frequency is a good idea. So starting out with like once a week and then seeing kind of how your body responds. Again, going back to like the first topic that we talked about, everyone is so individual. So not two people aren't going to respond the same to something. And that's also something to keep in mind when you hear or see anything on social media. Not everyone is going to respond the same to anything that you see. So just keep that in mind when you see an ad that sounds super enticing that, you know, oh, my gosh, that sounds like the magic pill. Like not everyone's going to have that same experience. So that's also just something to keep in mind. But saunas, on the other hand, those are going to be more I was going to ask you about that next. (laughs) Yes, I read your mind. Saunas are actually more stressful because heat and stress go hand in hand. So the body definitely recognizes that as cortisol. So if you're somebody that's struggling with a ton of inflammation, water retention, if you add a bunch of saunas into your routine, you're only going to become like more of a watery mess. So really being able to pull back the stressors, add in some cold plunges, and then you can go back and revisit the saunas because they are really great for detoxification accelerating toxins leaving the body, but doing them so frequently and then also having a million other stressors in your life is just going to make you a watery mess. So I don't really love, actually, that's the first thing clients working with me, if they're doing a bunch of saunas or like hot yoga multiple times a week, I'll pull the hot yoga or sauna therapies for like four to six weeks swap it for walking, spending time in nature, and then adding them back in. And usually that's a really, they have a really good response. They're like, oh, wow, I feel so much better now that I took time away from doing that and focused on calming my body down first. But the cold plunges, I mean, starting off with like once a week, seeing how you respond. 
adding it in a couple times a week. I would say three times a week is probably like a really good frequency to keep it around. If you work out, you know, four to five times a week, then doing it a little bit more for just the anti-inflammatory benefits, that would be a good kind of frequency to keep it at. But yeah, I think that three, three times a week is really ideal. I used to do cryotherapy pretty frequently. Now I just don't have time to go there, but I really do love cold therapy. The benefits are really, really amazing. That's another one that I've actually wanted to try was cryotherapy. You, when you're saying spending time in nature, I just kind of had like an epiphany where I was like, there's no real equivalent of like a sauna, I guess, in nature. Like you can have a cold plunge in like an icy pool or something. But I was like, what's the equivalent of like a sauna? I couldn't think of one, right? There isn't one. Yeah. If you live in, I live in the Midwest. So when it's like super hot and humid in the summer, if you just go stand outside around like three o'clock, it'll probably feel pretty close to a sauna. I like to go for like walks outside. And I mean, that's not going to be the same translation as a sauna if you're yeah. just like going going for a walk at three o'clock. But I mean, the detoxification of like sweating is kind of the same. But infrared sauna is ideal because it has more benefits than just traditional. But yeah, there's no, you can definitely do simulate like a cold plunge in nature, but yeah, sauna is kind of tough unless you live in like the desert, which there might be some, some people that have fallen to that. Yeah. I was just trying to think like back when we were, you know, cavemen, I was thinking, is there an equivalent? I don't know. What about taking like binders before going into the sauna to try and whole toxins. Yeah. Binders can be really, really great for helping pull toxins. I like to use binders and they're commonly used in gut protocols because when you're addressing a lot of dysbiotic bacteria, it can help pull the toxins and avoid a lot of die off symptoms. So yeah, I think doing a binder, if you know you're like super toxic internally, adding that in would be a great addition to kind of your, your routine. (laughs) Okay. Super toxic internally. I love that. How does someone know if they're super toxic internally? <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I said that and I was like, Wait, anyone listening? <laughs> running labs is really the answer. But if you have a lot of symptoms of water retention, inflammation, you feel super puffy and bloated. Those are really the common signs of toxicity. Fatigue can be a really common sign of Toxicity, brain fog is another really big one. Skin issues, rashes, hives, things like that can be a sign that you have a lot of toxins that you need to get rid of. Yeah, those are probably the main ones. But again, doing labs, lab testing is really a good idea. Everyone honestly is exposed to toxins on an everyday basis. So everyone is a little bit toxic. (laughs) Yeah, no, I know. The more I learn about like what's a toxin what's like in our environment that's toxic I'm like this is too much there's too many of them like there's ones that are completely out of my control and then the ones that are in my control like for example I've been trying to find a shampoo that I like for like a year now that doesn't have something in it and I get I just got to a point where I was like I just give up like having blonde hair first of all I'm sure you understand this is such a struggle to have your hair color like stay blonde most of the shampoos 
are going to be a little toxic. Yeah, it's hard. And I always tell my clients this too, because I think there's probably going to be a lot of people that don't agree with what I'm about to say, but there comes a point when it's like, there's only so much you can do and control before it becomes like, I actually want to like enjoy my life and like not have to worry about certain things. So I say, always control like the biggest ones. What are the biggest things that are easy to make that aren't going to, you know, prevent me from like really enjoying my hair or my, you know, makeup or whatever. So switching to like a filtered water system, reverse osmosis is really, really great. Mm -hmm. Switching all of your plastic to glass and then all the cookware, making sure it's the clean and not in Teflon. That's really Mm -hmm. recommended. So those are like the three big ones that I always recommend to clients or just people if you're trying to reduce toxins in your environment. Obviously, like fragrance isn't the best thing. I will say I still use like perfume (laughs) that isn't natural. But yeah, again, it's like, you know, you pick and choose which ones you want to prioritize. I think that's a healthy outlook, though, because... I think it gets to a point where it becomes a stressor and then it's like that stress is just going to be more harmful in my mind. In my opinion, that's more stressful and harmful to your body than like just using the product. I'm sure there's science that probably totally says the opposite to what I just said, but (laughs) yeah, just picking and choosing and Anyone who's listening to this who's like, I have a shampoo for you for dyed blonde hair that's not going to, <laughs> you know, make you look terrible. I'm I'm totally open to it. But for now, I'm sticking with the the TIGI or whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, there was a point in my life where I was like, no toxins at all. Like, use the cleanest shampoo no more fragrances. And honestly, it was more stressful because I was looking at all the ingredients. Like it was consuming my life almost to be able to like totally get rid of everything. So that's why I'm like, you know, do what, do the best you can with what you have. Also financially, it is more expensive to like switch to every single thing natural. So you know, people that are looking to make those healthy balanced lifestyle changes, but not you know, stay within budget. That's why kind of picking the biggest ones that you can really sustain and it's really feasible is super important. And then, you know, keeping the things that make you happy in life, keeping those in your routine, I think is is okay. Yeah, I know. It, it It's so unfortunate that's the case that things are more expensive. Like toothpaste that doesn't have fluoride is like $7 a tube. And it's like, why does it have to be $7? Is it just because it's like such a niche market or I don't know, but it aggravates me so much. It's like astronomically more expensive yes. to like be toxin free and all the things I know it's like ridiculous. I think part of it is just like you said, it's like this small niche market where they know there's only like four or five options that are fluoride free. So they have to go with one of us. So then they like price gouge against each other. (laughs) Yeah, it's horrible. I think I saw the other day it was like Tom's toothpaste is now owned. I think it's by Colgate. Yeah, I think I saw that too. And so it was like, well, you should be excused from that if you're <laughs> if you're owned right. by Colgate. 
your prizes should be Colgate prize. Right? Yeah. <laughs> They'd probably sell so much more too. Definitely. A hundred percent. Okay. So one other thing I wanted to touch on with toxins, which was food, because now we're talking about things in the home and also just what's worth it, what's not worth it. What are your thoughts on organic? Yeah, I think, again, doing what you can with what's feasible. Prioritizing meats especially is like number one, making sure that those are yeah. organic, grass-fed. And honestly, the price difference I actually haven't looked at it, but I feel like it's not that much more expensive if you buy organic, really. Produce, there's the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. The Clean 15 are 15 produce items that you can buy non-organically and it's still considered, they don't spray it with like as many pesticides so you're not exposing yourself Mm -hmm. as much. The Dirty Dozen, you definitely want to buy those ones organic. So really familiarizing yourself with those is really important. If you just Google clean 15 and dirty dozen, they're all on there, but it's like blueberries and strawberries, things that you eat without like a peel pretty much are the ones that you want to prioritize eating organically. But yeah, I think produce and meats are really the things that I would prioritize as organic. I saw a video on TikTok the other day. I don't know how much truth there is to this, but it said that strawberries something like strawberries are so porous that all of the pesticides that they absorb if you blended a strawberry and then sprayed it on a crop it would still be as effective as a pesticide wow after the fact and i was like oh my god never eating strawberries again (laughs) i don't know about that one that's interesting i'll have to look that one up but i don't know maybe i'm not even surprised i mean it's really unfortunate that we live in America where everything is kind of like that. You know, if you go to like Europe or a different country, they just don't have those things. So I don't understand why they can't just like get rid of them. But I guess that's the world we live in. Yeah, I think grains is a big one. Gluten. I don't eat. I've never like been able to eat gluten since I was a child. So that's something I haven't had to like wrestle with in terms of cutting it out. But I know a lot of people who go to like Italy, for example, and then all they're eating is like pasta and they're like losing weight. And then they come be here and then they're eating the same thing. And they're like, I'm gaining so much weight. And I'm like, it's, it's definitely the way we're farming it. Yes. I, it's funny you mentioned that I was talking to, she's a current client now, but she is from Oh, gosh, I forget what country, but she was over there. She has an autoimmune disease. It's pretty rare. And she was able to manage like all of her symptoms over there by just kind of cleaning up her diet in the sense of like more whole foods, veggies, all the things. She came back to the States, moved back here and was eating basically the same thing. And all of her lab levels like went through the roof, like she had major flare ups with her autoimmunity and she like literally didn't change much of anything with her diet other than like she came to America. I was like, oh my gosh, that is really bad. I've pretty much the same story because I'm Australian. So when I moved here, I started putting on weight and my period stopped and like I had all these, I obviously had a lot of stress in my life as well, just because I was moving countries. But I noticed a huge difference in food, just 
massive. And then I visited home in February and my husband and I just got like some steak from the supermarket and it was like, no, I don't even think it was organic. I think it was just like any steak and he cooked it. And I was like, this steak is so good. I was like, where did you get this? And I looked at the packet. I was like, oh my God, this looks like just a regular, like nothing special. But it, yeah, it just, it was that major difference. And I mean, I have a million stories like this of, of just the, the comparisons for very basic things like fruits and vegetables and things like that. Yeah. I was like pretty, I'm, I wasn't surprised at all because I obviously know that like the food quality is just like so dramatically different, but it's just like so unfortunate. And that is a huge reason why people experience all the chronic health issues that they do is because the food is just not the way that it should be. And even kind of like organically, like, I don't even know, like, is this actually organic? I mean, it says it is. I've done some research around it too, of like some things aren't obviously aren't what they are advertised. And like a lot of companies can just put on the label, like, oh, this is pasture raised or grass fed, but it's like, yeah, like kind of like not really. So that that's tough. Yeah. I'm the same. I'm definitely skeptical. Like I have to feel like it tastes different. Like there are some times where I bought organic. I'm like, this doesn't taste any different. And there's other times where I'm like, wow, this tastes astronomically different. Where do you shop? Where do you recommend people shop? Yeah. I I like to go to Whole Foods, Whole Foods and Sprouts Farmers Market. Those are the two places that I go. And then actually I live close to like a local co-op and they source a lot of local farms with produce. It is like back to the pricing. It's like three times more expensive than like any other grocery store. It's like Air One, but like Midwest version. So it's not quite as expensive as that, but it's definitely like a version of that. But sometimes if I'm feeling extra, I'll I'll go there and get they have really great like produce options and they keep everything seasonal, too, which is really great. So you kind of like know that you're shopping with the in-season fruits and veggies, which I highly recommend to anyone like looking up what fruits and vegetables and stuff are in season so that you get like the highest quality of everything. Whole Foods, Sprouts, those are probably my favorite places to shop. I used to go to Trader Joe's just for the meats and salmon and all that, but they've had a lot of like recalls recently, so I'm like a little scared to to go there. So I've just been sticking with like, you know, Old Faithful, Sprouts and Whole Foods. I know. The recalls recently on frozen fruit has been quite crazy. I'm still buying frozen fruit, just rolling the dice. <laughs> praying nothing just, happens <laughs> i know like every time i make a smoothie i'm like am i risking it i don't know maybe okay i wanted to touch on one last thing before i let you go which was protein specifically how much protein females need are we getting enough and how much women need who have hormonal imbalances or pcos or anything like that Yeah, that's a great question. So typically across the board, like no matter really what your weight is, if you don't want to like track anything or be really specific or hire a nutritionist to help you with this, like 100 grams of protein minimum is really kind of what every woman needs, whether you're dealing with hormonal imbalances or just trying to like maintain your health in general. Mm -hmm. 
120, 130 grams of protein, really anywhere around there is going to be really good for just maintaining lean mass and your hormones. If you're really trying to gain muscle and change your body composition, doing one gram of protein per pound of body weight is kind of a good goal to to hit. For some people, that's going to be a lot of protein. But if you're really trying to see those like body composition changes, that will be super helpful. If you want to get more specific, you can do one gram of protein per pound of lean mass in your body. So not necessarily like total body weight, but like how much actual muscle that you have on your body doing even like 1.2 grams can be helpful. But generally, like for the average person, anywhere from 100 to 130 grams of protein is a really good goal to maintain your health, energy, and just support lean mass in general. Yeah. What's what's the average person getting normally? Like before, when you work with a client, when they come to you, what's like the average amount of protein they're getting before you're like up, up, up? (laughs) Yeah. So it really depends. I'd say for a majority of women, they're chronically under eating, especially in the protein category. So most women are eating like 70 to 90 grams of protein. And I'm definitely like, okay, we need to like increase this up or there, there are other Mm -hmm. macronutrients like carbs and fats are like way higher or just like totally out of balance. It's not really the balanced macro split that you want to see. But I will say for some clients, especially autoimmunity clients will go through certain phases of autophagy. It's the natural process where the body cleans out old bad cells So when we go through that, lowering your protein to like 50 grams of protein helps stimulate autophagy a little bit more. But before you can even get to something like that, you want to make sure that you're eating enough protein. So if I have a woman coming into me chronically under eating, she's at like 80, 75 grams of protein every day, chronically stressed. We want to correct those things first before we go into any sort of autophagy strategy to like accelerate healing or cleansing of the the cells in the body. I'm definitely under eating protein. <laughs> I was like, Every- I'm nowhere near a hundred. Oh my gosh. So many women chronically under eat. And it's like the first thing that I correct. And they're like, are you sure you want me to eat this much? And I'm like, yes, just trust me. It'll, it'll work. You'll have so much more energy than you ever thought you were going to have. So and. What if you're just not hungry? What if, like I just don't feel like I'm that hungry all the time to eat that much. Typically that's a sign that the metabolism is really downregulated so the body's trying to conserve as much energy as possible. So that's even more of a sign to start right. increasing <laughs> increasing your nutrition a little bit more. So if you're in that field of like I wake up, I have no appetite and you're struggling with stubborn belly fat or low energy throughout the day or just hormonal imbalance in general, increasing your nutrition and doing it very strategically. So not just like going from zero to a hundred, but like Mm -hmm. over the course of six to eight weeks, adding a hundred calories more to what your current intake is obviously a little bit more protein carbs, and then like moderate to low fat, adding a hundred calories more to your nutrition per week over like eight weeks is super Mm -hmm. ideal to support your metabolism. And then you'll notice once you go through that walk-up process of increasing your nutrition calories, all the things, you'll notice that your appetite will come back and you'll actually be hungry 
you'll probably look better. You'll feel better. So yeah, a lot of women chronically under eat. And it's one thing that you can really, you know, manage and control and unlock a lot of the symptoms that you might be struggling with. Yeah. So I'll ask you one last question, which is how do you get to 100? Because I'm trying to think of my day of like where I get in my protein with breakfast. Breakfast is always a really hard one for me because I don't want like an, a humongous meal. Like I'm hungry, but like the idea of eating a full meal at breakfast is just not appetizing to me. What do you suggest for people to get in maybe like some sneaky protein without it feeling like I just ate a whole steak? <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely eating smaller meals throughout the day is going to be the way to get that in. And then also just looking at the things that you're eating, making sure that you add protein to almost every snack or meal and making sure that they're good concentrated sources of protein. So like nuts and seeds are not a protein source. Like whoever told you that peanut butter was a good source of protein is lying to you. So <laughs> doing things like chicken or even like a turkey stick, like the chomps turkey sticks, those have like 10 grams of protein. That's something easy that you can add with like fruit, different things that just have like a little bit of protein in it throughout the day can be super helpful. Adding protein powder to like oats or something like that can be helpful to just add in that extra protein. But a good goal to have is 20 to 30 grams of protein four to five times a day is kind of a good way to get you to the, the goal of 100 to 130 grams of protein. It is hard. It takes, you know, definitely some work and planning out. But once you start doing it, obviously, you'll feel better, but you'll get the hang of it and understand what foods obviously contain more protein and how you can get to your goal that way. It really just takes time and practice of looking at the foods that you're eating. Tracking your macros can be helpful. I, I am a fan of doing that for women just because so many of them chronically under eat that <laughs> it's not a way of like, let's manage your calories and make sure you're not eating too much. It's a way of let's make sure that you are getting in all the things that you need to get in. And then having a good relationship with it too is really key. Not letting it drive your life. You can take days off. Once you start doing it a little bit, you'll understand like your portion sizes of protein and all the things a little bit more to where you don't even need to actually track. But it's so common for women to under eat so chronically that having that little tracking method in the background can be a good reminder of like, oh, it's six o'clock and I still have like 70 grams of protein that I need to eat. Obviously, if you're you're tracking and you're mindful, you're going to plan out your day a little bit better to where you can be like, okay, I need to have like 30 grams of protein so that at midnight, I'm not trying to shove my face with like all of this food to get to like my basal metabolic rate of what my body needs to just to like function, which for a lot of women, it's like, way more than they're currently eating. And I always, you know, provide that information to my clients of like, this is what your body needs. Just like breathing, digesting food, talking, thinking, and it's like 500 calories more than what they're already actually eating. And they're like, why can't I'm I already, <laughs> I'm already overwhelmed thinking like, oh my God, I have to do so much more cooking. Like 
that's the main thing for me is like I just cannot be bothered to cook more than I have to cook. Yeah, I will say like I am super busy person and I just have a lot going on. So I don't have time to cook either. But what I do that's super helpful. I work from home, which is great. But cooking a bunch of like protein sources like a few times a week. I don't even do it like a Sunday thing. I'll do it like Mondays and Thursdays or just like three times a week when I have time. I'll make like a bunch of chicken. I'll make a bunch of salmon. I'll make a bunch of sweet potatoes, veggies, like bell peppers, you know, and I'll put it all in Tupperwares so that throughout the day I'm not like scrambling like, oh, I have to make this whole big thing to try to like get in food. I already have it all kind of laid out for me. The one thing that I don't do breakfast is like the one thing that I, you know, will make, but I usually try to make that pretty easy. Like I'll do eggs or like a Greek yogurt bowl with like granola and fruit, but really just kind of trying to set yourself up for success. So you don't run into those situations of either not eating or grabbing something that might not be as great is the way to go. Mm -hmm. And, and doing that, like batch making your ingredients. So like chicken, sweet potatoes, quinoa, rice, all of those things, putting it in Tupperwares. And then you don't get into a situation of like, oh crap, what am I going to eat? And then you can make like different variations of it. If you have extra time, you can go for that crazy recipe that you want to make. But it really, I feel like people overthink nutrition all the time. They're like, I have to make this like 12 ingredient salad to like be healthy or like, you know what I mean? They're like, I have to make this like extravagant meal to hit all my goals, but it's really so simple. Just prioritizing all the macronutrients, making sure that you're eating enough is super crucial. So that's my best tip, but I am also super busy and I still make it happen. So I think everyone can do it. She can do it. You guys can do it. (laughs) Trust (laughs) trust me. Where can people find you if they want to follow you or work for work for you, work with you? (laughs) Definitely. It's a growing business. So I'm always looking for people that are wanting to work. But if you want to work with me, you can follow me and find me on Instagram and TikTok. Those are my two main channels. Be Balanced by Michaela. If you're interested in working with me or just want to learn more about testing or anything that I mentioned, you can message me on Instagram and I will point you in the right direction. But yeah, those are my main forms of communication. Amazing. Well, this has been so helpful and I enjoyed it and it flew by. So thank you so, so much. I had such a good time chatting with you. Yes, you as well. Thank you so much. (laughs) 